go out with friends on Friday, come home at like midnight, set up the bot from like midnight to 3 a.m. Because it's like a lot of work. Like it's automated once the shoe releases, but everything before is like different methods of ways to like utilize it to its best capacity. So I'm up at four and then the first sneaker, the first retailer usually drops at like 6 a.m. So I sleep for like two hours and this is like every Saturday for years. Hello everyone. On this episode of Overdue, we had Grayson Adelstein. Grayson is a freshman at UIUC, currently in the Geese College of Business. We got to sit down with him and talk about where his entrepreneurial journey really began and some of the things he is currently working on. We talked about how he started off small with things like a lemonade stand and soon upskilled that to something like a shoe selling business that made over $800,000 in revenue. We also got to hear about his current project called Ripple and how he started a scholarship for students interested in business at his high school at such a young age. I hope you all enjoy. Welcome to Overdue, where we cover the stories of certified project starters and ambitious entrepreneurs, from college students to accomplished professionals. Yeah. Okay. Love, love concerts. One thing, first thing that we want to talk about is Ripple, right? So obviously yeah. transition subjects you know talking about travis like whatever <laughs> but so okay exactly what is it because i mean we know or yeah. we, i mean we've watched videos of like what exactly it is right right but like to anybody listening what would be the little pitch and then what yeah. would be the why too yeah. i think both of those go hand in hand yeah so ripple is a digital service provider specializing in celebration of life events so primarily memorial services or anniversaries so we work with families that recently lost a loved one or are expecting to lose a loved one, or are celebrating the anniversary, we compile different media, so photos, videos, eulogies, interviews like this, anything where you can reflect on your family member or friend, um, compile that into one video that's edited professionally, um, and that video can be shared across the world, so families have shared it through social media, at um, ceremonies and celebrations, um, and this was really started during the pandemic, is kind of where I came up with the idea um, and it was kind of a way to shift the um, in-person funeral setting that all of us know to the digital landscape, which the pandemic really required and demanded. Um, and I think kind of to get into the why, it's think about situations where your parents um, are probably getting to the age where they're losing a lot of people around them. So mm-hmm. friends, parents, and obviously the, you hold those people really close to you, but you can't always on a Tuesday night fly across the country and attend and ripple kind of allows you to be a part of that experience from really anywhere that you are yeah like i uh i had told you but i was like talking with my dad about this before about like what ripple does mm-hmm. and i mean obviously it's super sad but a family friend he actually he's on hospice right now right and his his wife has covid so she oh. can't she, she yeah. who knows what's gonna happen you know and i mean it's scenarios like that where i see that come up that who knows like that could just like i don't know like that could just be so what would what would the word be like what closure do you get if you can't be there or if you can't like celebrate like the life of like Mm -hmm. what what it could be so i mean was there like i guess more specifically like just because i'm curious like how did it was it a thing that you had in your brain like for a few weeks and you're like okay maybe i'll maybe i'll pursue it or was it something that just hit you and you're like, yeah. okay, I'm going to do this right now? So it, it was a actual situation with my family. So, um, and it was kind of, the timing of it was kind of weird. So I was, it was junior year. I, um, 
kind of end of the pandemic, but still a weird transition period where it's like mask one month, mask not the other. It's kind of back and forth. And I'm enrolled in this business incubator class. So we're about to get put into our teams of four. So um, my, so me and my cousins, like I was telling you, we're all going on this trip together. So our dads are actually identical twins. So we're all really close, like like DNA-wise, half-siblings. Um, and their grandma, so like their grandparents on their mom's side, like we consider our grandparents kind of like one big family. And their grandma was super sick and kind of just passed away suddenly. So only their family flew down to Florida for the um, funeral, but the rest of us um, just participated on it through Zoom. So like the funeral home offered like a Zoom platform and it was just like a mess. It was, people were unmuted, talking over each other. And it was like such a poor way to celebrate her life. And like you said, like I did not get any closure from that experience. So that was kind of, at this time I was in the class. So I took that experience and I'm like, there has to be like a different way to do this how can we make this work? And my aunt who lost her mom kind of helped me come up with the idea, quite frankly. So she thought of different ways. So there's um, a wedding service called The Knot. They offer, I don't know if you guys, you may have heard of it. I have not. Yeah, so they offer like all-in-one services, planning your wedding from start to finish. And we kind of thought like we can replicate this in for but for funerals. So we thought of like meal services, so like helping families, um like set up meals because that's a big thing like people get sent like a bunch of food one day um while they're grieving and then none the next day so kind of like planning it out um flower services like contribution management stuff like that so that was kind of the original idea but when i brought like my experience to my business incubator group like they kind of had similar experiences that they had during the pandemic so they were um on zoom for funerals and they had really poor experiences so we kind of all um, my group, my aunt, we kind of all came up with this idea and started to work on it. Yeah, it's kind of how it started. Have you, so like now that you kind of have it going, have you been like trying to pitch it to funeral homes to like kind of get it? I mean, I guess that's like the best way to kind of find a customer, right? right. It, to like kind of pitch it to a funeral home or like how do you kind of advertise it or like yeah. get it out there? Right. So at the start, we were doing, we were kind of trying to meet with funeral homes, pitching the idea, and a lot of them saw us as a competitor to them. So, they started offering like very basic video editing services during the pandemic, but um, it's different than ours because ours are like a professional service and they, so they didn't really understand that. So we kind of shifted plans and started approaching like senior living facilities, hospice centers. So we formed a few different partnerships with different senior living homes um, in the Chicagoland area. And we kind of issue them different brochures and marketing materials we've gone in and done a few different um like speaking panels with the residents so we'll come in speak to their like get they'll send out an rsvp to their residents they can come hear us speak about like what ripple is and like how their family can learn more about it um that's kind of been the main way to get the word out there yeah one thing that i'm specifically curious about i know you kind of hinted at it just now and you said like ours are like professional right but what what'd be the difference between oh like kind of gathering video things and like chopping it up in iMovie versus like what makes like you yeah. guys so professional um so like these so I don't actually do any of the video editing okay. one of my partners he does too. yeah one of the co-founders he does like all that him and his sibling do all the editing so we've kind of outsourced some of it to his sibling but in like this we're still in the startup phase but like for most of the projects he was doing all the editing um I know um a lot of people just do like very basic slideshows, just like photos. But these are like, we're, we have um, 
like we have 4k cameras where we're able to like go to people's houses film them doing different interviews and like most people aren't really able to do that while they're grieving so it's not that we stand out as a competitor against other video editing services it's that we're a business that's there when you need it most we're a business that you can rely on like when you're going through that like does a lot most families aren't going to spend hours like sitting down editing videos while they're losing someone like that's not exactly what most people are like able to do in times of grieving so that's kind of another way that like we're able to stand out yeah you you mentioned that you so you go to people's houses to yeah. or you can go to people's houses yeah so um it's definitely been difficult as all of us are like in college now yeah. um but i know in the summer we've um we filmed someone's obituary actually was another service that we added so we kind of sat down with her ran through her entire obituary so she was reading her own obituary which was something that was pretty cool so she was in a workshop had wrote her own obituary looking back on her life and then she was reading it for our camera which would then be and she's in like perfectly fine health but when she does pass like it would be sent to family so we've done that um we've also done yeah different filming events with families um primarily um when they're celebrating an anniversary of the um of the loved one because it's just kind of difficult to do it like right as they lose someone they just don't have enough time no yeah it's nice to have like a little like a little celebration piece right. to kind of like share um especially for like an anniversary yeah and that's that's cool that you brought up the word like celebration because that's another thing that when we were thinking of it is like also like funerals don't need to be sad like we kind of we don't really ever talk about we don't really ever say the word death um when we're speaking with clients, like we like to use like celebration of life, memorial service, and kind of like shifting it to like a celebratory event. One thing that's just in my head right now is we obviously have had a lot of conversations with people that are working on whatever they may be working on. Right. Right. And I mean, you've experienced this too. Like there's businesses that kind of, you make, you make money. Right. And that's kind of like, that's what's awesome about them. But as well as you, like, you get to provide value, but in something like this, you actually get to talk with the families you're helping. Right. right. And I mean, I just want to hear a little bit like how like powerful or I mean, you get to see the whole process through and be able to see how you're helping somebody else in their life. Right. Especially at the time they may, they might need it most. Yeah. So like, what does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, at the start, it was really tricky. We're teenage boys trying to approach families. Um, I think I definitely had a lot of growth and like learning how to be learning how to speak with people in that regard, how to be mindful of what they're going through and kind of put yourself in their shoes. Um, like one story I'd like to highlight. So a lot of like our earlier on clients were people using the anniversary package. They had lost loved ones during the pandemic and didn't do anything for the Celebration of Life service. They just kind of had um, something with their family, something really small. They did as much as they could and they wanted to use Ripple as a way to kind of reflect on the life bring everyone black that's kind of what we we kind of call like the reflection package so you're looking back on the life that you lost and um so this woman lost her husband to cancer during the pandemic um and it, i think two years had passed almost so she wanted to make this video she had all the footage um we did a couple interviews with different family members to include and i remember she just told us like um after watching this video like i feel like his life is complete like it kind of allowed her to like have that closure that she didn't have before and it's like stories like that that um 
really like embody like what it is for us to like work with families. And yeah, it was definitely difficult at the start. I think all of us have learned a lot from working with different families in that regard. Were you, were you 17 at the time? 18? Um, I was seven. Yeah. 17. Dang. I just turned wow. 17. Dude. I feel yeah. like I wasn't even mature enough at like 17 to yeah. be having like, cause obviously like when you're having a conversation with a family or like anyone about like that one, obviously you have to be very, serious and like understanding right like being serious may not be like a hard part but like being able to show like empathy or like sympathy towards them is like right being compassionate compassionate is a little bit a little bit is a little bit difficult especially at 17 so that's like it's pretty impressive 100 percent, especially um, with people that like you don't really know yeah yeah that's like difficult um so um i don't know if you you, you don't have to share this if you do but like what do you guys charge for like one like package i guess yeah. like like say you're doing a video for like an anniversary like what do you is it is it based on like how long it is or yeah so it varies so um we came up with a pricing formula so we have it just on like an excel spreadsheet and we kind of we just input so there's like a base price um that also includes like a free 30 minute consultation that we offered all families um so we'll input the amount of photos and then the amount of videos that are edited and those all have like a flat rate um, I would say on average, people have like anywhere from seven to 10 minute videos that usually range from four to $500. That's kind of on average. Um, some people have shorter, some people have longer. That's okay. kind of a rough range. Yeah. You, you said you founded this during COVID, right? And this was, so that was our sophomore year of high school. When it started. It ended, that was like, your freshman year. So yeah. it's no, so it started, um, like oh, it, you told after. me it was that weird, like, post-COVID yeah. time, right? So, yeah, it was yeah. – so, COVID was my – like, end of my freshman year, all of my sophomore year. So, this was start of junior year. So, oh, I see, I see. So, it was – you guys were seniors. So, it was kind of like okay. – Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was like, that weird time. We were back in school fully, but it was like – Masks on and off. Right. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. Towards I mean, the end of it. Before that, I mean, you've been doing stuff, like, your whole life, yeah. right? And, I mean, we want to talk about sneakers in a little bit and what exactly that looked like. But was that, for context, was that your first thing or were there things before that you think that contextualized that? Before sneakers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of have uh, my background in entrepreneurship is pretty um, similar to a lot of people. So lemonade, lemonade stands, stands. <laughs> yeah. lemonade stands, <laughs> snow shoveling, um, did all of that early on, um, summers after school. But I'd say... Um, one of like the first things I did sixth grade was like selling literally anything. So I would sell like stickers, um, streetwear. So obviously the sneaker industry is falls under the category of like luxury streetwear, the types of stuff I was selling. And my first kind of introduction to that was through like clothing. So I would sell, um, mainly supreme um was a big brand back in the day um, supreme patty yeah so i would sell a lot of supreme stuff um very very like small low like small scale um but that kind of led me into sneakers so okay. yeah and then the, where where are we at timeline now that's just so easy. so this is like sixth to seventh grade yeah damn yeah sixth seventh grade i was playing minecraft was every night bro <laughs> and that's then crazy. and then like end of seventh starting eighth is when i kind of started to transition into the sneakers damn. yeah okay. damn wait so you started sneakers in eighth grade sneakers started in 2018 eighth grade damn yeah wow. yeah i saw the 2018 but 
I didn't process that that like that was eighth grade. Yeah. Because even I mean you probably feel this too. Twenty eighteen seems like it doesn't seem like that long ago. It doesn't. I feel like yeah. we're in twenty twenty right now. <laughs> yeah, that whole Dude. yeah, I felt like a void of two years. Yeah, we, sure. we we just like missed two years. So yeah. That's why no, twenty eighteen doesn't sound like long. Yeah, but it's like ago. five years ago. So. Yeah, that's it's a while. Yeah, no, bro, it's it's yeah. about to be what six. Yeah. Yeah, I guess six. Yeah, that's uh, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, so 20, so 2018 is when the sneakers really started. Damn, damn. So, I mean, yeah, we're saying sneakers right now, but do you want to give, I mean, I guess we kind of just, but do you want to give a little bit more context of what exactly that looked like as well? Because when I was looking through it at all, it was like software and all this, but I'm like, okay, like, what does this yeah. mean? Yeah. You know? So, sneakers were, I would say there was kind of like two different phases of my sneaker reselling career. So, the first was very, like, very small so selling like five pairs a week going in person to Gary malls yeah like small scale flipping used shoes on offer up making 20 bucks a pair nothing high end at all so that was kind of the first that was kind of the first half of it so my brother actually started sneaker reselling before me he um didn't end up doing it as long as i did he kind of phased out but that was kind of how i got into it through him so we were doing malls. I was, it, it was, it was a, it was a side hustle. He's like, older. Yeah, he's older. Yeah, okay. yeah, so he's a junior. Okay. College. Okay. 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 Yeah. So it was, it was Couple just like, days, yeah. yeah, it was just, a, it was a side hustle, honestly, like just flipping pair by pair, going to the malls, manual, everything on my own. Um, and then I was introduced to sneaker bots, automation software. Enlighten us. Yeah. So, <laughs> so please tell us more. These are programs that people, software engineers, have developed that they sell to the public in limited quantities, and they pretty much allow you to automate the process of buying a shoe online. So, damn, okay. I'm yeah, yeah, hearing money potential. So <laughs> it's the perfect way to scale up a business yeah, I was of just this about nature. To say, yeah. So. I was introduced to those and um um I started with that I did, had no idea what I was doing. So you were like watching YouTube videos trying to learn like how do I use the software I just spent $500 on. Um <laughs> was kind of where I was at. Um but kind of this was so this was like 2020 when the pandemic started and everything so part of the reason why I got into sneaker bots everything all of the stock and inventory that retailers had shifted to um, online. No one was going in person anymore to buy shoes. So there was a lot of potential there. Everything was shifted online for the most part. A, a few things in store, but nothing crazy. I guess I should give a little bit more like context on the whole sneaker reselling thing. So in like short, pretty much purchasing sneakers from retailers for retail price these are sneakers that have like very limited quantity, huge market for them, people that are collectors, people that want to wear them. A lot of these sneakers will double in resale value, different ways to sell them through like third parties. Um, so that's kind of was my jam. So I got into the bots and I started slowly learning how to use them. And I was able to like get a few pairs online. So I was like, oh, like this is this is worth it. I made my money back on the box. I got two, three pairs. Um, and I just started getting really good at it. A lot of mentorship. I joined a discord group where they taught me how to use them, how to like 
how to scale your business, all this stuff that like you think would be a scam, but is actually useful. And I, I'm, I don't remember exactly my first release where I like really hit it big, but there was, there was releases earlier on. So it was like all Saturdays. I would, I would, I would like go out with friends on Friday, come home at like midnight, set up the bot from like midnight to 3am. Cause it's like a lot of work. Like it's automated once the shoe releases, but everything before is like different methods of ways to like utilize it to its best capacity. So I'm up at four and then the first sneaker, the first retailer usually drops at like 6am. So I sleep for like two hours and this is like every Saturday for years. So sleep is, is non-existent at this point. So I, I think I'm just a little confused on the whole yeah. bot thing. So you, yeah. you purchase a software called yeah. sneaker bots. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of like adjust the bot to work for you so that it does, does a part does a purchase. Yeah. So you, so you'll like upload all of your information. So like your addresses, your credit cards using virtual credit cards. And then it pretty much the bot like mimics you going on the website to purchase it, but at like a really fast speed and like hundreds Oh, so of it'll times. do it like right when it, yeah. Right so when is it that opens. when, yeah. okay. Taylor Swift tickets will drop and then immediately like everything will sell out. Yeah. And obviously so, a lot of it's consumer demand, but is yeah. some of it bots as well. So like you actually, it's actually is illegal to bot ticket websites. That's the only mm-hmm. like industry that has any like legislation on it. But yeah, similar to that where something drops online and like you click the add to cart button and it's sold out in a second. Like those are most likely bots. Yeah, you're like who right are these people? Or, right. <laughs> so, so sneakers, so stuff like sneakers that. you're allowed to bot. Like, yeah, so like there's that's like allowed or yeah, yes. Just, okay. So there's nothing illegal about it. Okay. Um, wow. Unless you're using like, unless the developers are using like backend APIs that like aren't public, but for the most part, like they're just, I don't know anything about how sneaker bots are developed, but they're mim- pr- pretty much mimicking human interaction with, with the website to purchase shoes. Okay. There are yeah, there are three paths I want to go down with this. Yeah, this um, I know this is like a lot to like. No, uh, no as I, in like directions of conversation yeah. that I would think are like very interesting conversations yeah. I want to have with you. Okay, so first, right? Yeah, I guess this was the first one. So like we're saying sneakers, reselling, all that cool stuff, but it's kind of like when we were talking to Aiden, it's like okay, but how? how like how like how much does this really do you know what i mean yeah. and i we were actually talking about this on the phone earlier right right but i think just to contextualize but also to give some i guess like motivation as we were talking to like yeah younger kids that like want to get into it how much did you end up actually like pocketing yeah. and, like did this generate yeah so to contextualize it so i would say on average i'm getting 50 to 100 pairs each release so over my four-year span of sneaker reselling i sold 3400 pairs of sneakers which generated <laughs> a little bit over $800,000 in revenue, bottom line, $200,000. So I took yeah. home $200,000 um, from sneaker reselling. That's awesome, that's, bro. Dude, that's yeah. a lot. I mean, like, so like life, that, that, life that's changing. Awesome. Like that, life changing. Yeah. Life changing. Cause like, how many years was that? Like, like a little bit less than five. Okay. I mean, you're also like a freshman in high school. So yeah, eighth that, grade is so, damn oh yeah because that was even that was before yeah wow yeah i mean so like it was it was life-changing for sure sure. it's like 40k a year yeah so damn yeah and and most of that was made honestly within like a two-year span because like the other years before i'm making like five thousand right and And then other years it's like our hundred thousand dollar years yeah so i just want to get like the full story of how this works yeah but so you get you get the you get the sneakers from the bot during the drop or whatever yeah so like you you Uh, get them 
you get the confirmation. Yeah, they, you know, they don't. So they they don't come to your house. house. Oh, they do ship to your house. Yeah, so, so, so you just house. had. So now you have to find the buyers yourself. Yeah. So, so how, how is that? Yeah. So I I had like a few different channels of selling. So when I was small, I was selling just like direct to consumers. So I'm just selling like on Instagram. I had an Instagram page or Snapchat. So kids at school, I'm sure you see people trying to sell stuff all the time. (laughs) Um, But once I started getting bigger, so I was using kind of the three channels were StockX, Goat, which are three different places that resell sneakers above the retail price. Um, Sellers sell, they get 80% of the 80% and then the StockX or Goat takes 20% commission. Um, That was a big way at the start, but then I kind of learned about consignment through one of my friends. So I would consign a lot of my pairs at stadium goods, um, which is like an in-person and online retailer. Um, and they, their thing is like, they charge a lot higher, um, than you would get for stock X or go, but like, you're not, you're waiting a lot longer for your pairs to sell. So I would kind of have to think about the market, which pairs even down to the size, like what, what style and what size made the most sense to like put in stadium goods. Um, and which ones made the most sense to just send straight to StockX. Um, StockX was like, it's definitely, it's a lot easier. So you just sell it on there. You don't have to take photos or anything. Send it to them. They'll verify the sneaker and then issue you a payout. Stadium Goods is a little bit more complex, but it just kind of depended on the market. Implicitly with what we were just talking about was actually like the next thing that I wanted to go into a little bit. So you started when the whole thing was probably what, four years? Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine this for other people, but that was four years of what? Like three, like two hours of sleep Saturday nights. Yeah. Right? Maybe not all the time, but you put yeah. a lot, lot, lot of input. A lot. Like a lot. Like school was not a priority. Like I was doing f- fine in school. Obviously, it's not the most important years of your academic career, but um, yeah, like school was not a priority. Like I would, like right after school, I was... At, like pa- like packaging the shoes took hours. I I didn't have like employees or anything. It's all like a one man show. Um, so yeah, like stuff like that. Like yeah, it takes up a lot of time. Yeah, and I mean I think about it with Aiden, like Austin, Casper, all like and then you as well. Like all these people that have like achieved great amounts of success at our age or close to our age, right? And all I mean a lot. Of, it's other things. It's being able to kind of see an opportunity and all that. Like one of the big things that's just comes across all of them is just reps, right? Just reps, yeah. time, just taking more than other people are willing to put in, right? Right. So I, that was incredibly important to you, right? Just the amount of time. One hundred percent. Yeah, it just keeps getting reinforced yeah. in my head more and more. Yeah. And, no, and and also like you said, um, with sneakers, like it was nothing. I wasn't doing anything unique. I wasn't. I didn't create a market. I didn't create a demand. It's a billion a multi-billion dollar industry that's existed since like the 80s as soon as the jordan came out there was a demand for high-end sneakers and i just saw an opportunity and learned ways to get more pairs every single time yeah and And you also knew people that accelerated how quickly you learned too right and yeah you pair those things exactly and it's a huge community like community is a great a great thing in all aspects but in this specific like business um it's it's a large community of everyone trying to help each other out everyone knows different people people know people at stores people know everything that's changing and knowing those people obviously just benefits you so much yeah so so why'd you stop um yeah just too much <clears throat> school or? yeah um 
there's like a few different wh- reasons. So the market just as a whole really died out. So many people like became interested in it. So many people started doing it and the demand didn't change. So it's like basic economics, but you have like way more sellers, (laughs) the same (laughs) amount of buyers. So, and it's a lot of people that were really new into it. Just like tanking the price, like undercutting became a really big thing. And the margins just like were there and like still are, but it's like, was never worth it. Um, and kind of a second reason, a lot of these websites really started to crack down on bots. So, um, a lot of them stopped working. Um, and a lot of them kind of became useless. You weren't really able to use them. So it's like, if you're, if you go from getting 50 pairs with, with X margin, and then you go to getting two pairs with a lower margin, it's like not really worth it. Yeah. Um, and just school. I think I, I learned to value, school more that was something that i was like more passionate about um kind of got more engaged in my learning and started to think about college because in the peak of sneaker reselling i was like no college i'm not going i'm gonna be an entrepreneur i'm gonna figure it (laughs) out yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna figure it out like i'm not i'm not doing college nothing against school i'm not doing it but quickly learned like no school is something that i value college is something i want to pursue um and i think this is something i'm like trying to work on right now but it's just like I get bored. Like I was doing the same thing for four years. It's like, I want, I want new opportunities. I want new things. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of like gained every, not everything, but you gained a lot from yeah. sneaker reselling and exactly. you wanted to like move on to your next exactly. thing, which is uh, what was like the gap between sneaker selling and then like you focusing on, on ripple. Yeah. Like pretty much back to back. Okay. Yeah. So like I, I still was sneaker reselling junior year, but like it slowed down a lot and then kind of quickly transitioned into that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Always focusing on something entrepreneurial. Yeah, that's good. Right, when you get dosed with it early, man. Hey, that's that's very with early. You. Yeah, the uh, we talked about it a little bit mentorship and what it meant for, what it meant for your success. Yeah, right. Accelerated it and also like brought you to where you are today. And that's where I mean we were just we were like it was so awesome. Like, Dude, I sent I sent you the the you know where I'm, yeah, yeah yeah this is this is here, I'll let you say it but like this is this yeah. is I thought this was really cool so. Um, uh, you are are you 19 18 damn, damn, okay. I'm, I'm young for, so i'm august birthday. yeah damn damn yeah okay okay um so as an 18 year old you started a scholarship at your high school nearby oprf yeah. right was this something that you had thought about for a while like oh like, i want to actually give back and like what pushed you to do it right yeah. it's, like, it's like a thought for a lot of people but to actually go through all the red tape to actually like figure it all out like what motivated you to do that yeah so um there's a few things but um kind of my process of applying to college wait my bad i should have said what it is so it's a scholarship that you want to say what it is just because no yeah yeah so um it's a scholarship in my name at my high school for business students so anyone that has any experience in business coursework professional experience work experience um and just like has curiosity and wants to innovate um that's it's a pretty broad criteria so it's for any senior at oak park river forest high school it's um, a 1500 dollars financial award so it's a one-time award so there'll be a new winner each year um and then they also get access to an advisory board of oprf alumni that are at various colleges or have recently graduated um to kind of provide them with any assistance so 
like academic support, internship finding, but also just a community to share stuff with. So you found a cool YouTube video, you want to recommend a book. Um, the advisory board serves as a community to, yeah, for the recipient to have access to. What well, was like mentorship something you were always like kind of like fond of or like interested in that yeah. kind of like sparked an interest in you to want to start start like a scholarship at, yeah. at your high school yeah so i feel like yeah it's like there's kind of two reasons why i started so the first is like mentorship like i ha i've had mentors through like everything that i've been able to accomplish like in sneaker reselling i met amazing people that led me to sell 3400 pairs i met um we were paired with a mentor for ripple um through the incubator program so i feel like i always had people guiding me so that was something that i felt like is one of the most useful things when you're trying to get off the ground so um being able to like serve as a mentor and then pairing other mentors together so like some of the people on the advisory board are include my brother or some of his friends and these are people that like have always been there for me people that have like taught me stuff um so i thought it'd be really cool to like have all of us work together and kind of like um shape more mentors like we want like kind of one of our goals is to have like the recipient become a mentor one day like in the advi become an advisor on the board um and then kind of the second reason why i started it so i received a scholarship at illinois so it's like a full full ride so i don't pay for tuition or room and board yeah that's awesome yeah, that's yeah awesome. very blessed for that very blessed um so that's the stamp scholarship and um, that was like, that was like the primary motivator to start the scholarship. I felt like I couldn't like receive something like this was like out of nowhere. Like I had no idea this thing existed. I literally got like an email one day and it was like interview for this. And then it like, I first got a full tuition. Then it was like interview for the full ride. I went down to campus and it happened. And it was like one of the most amazing days of my life. Most amazing thing to happen. And I'm like sitting in it's senior year and I'm like checked out of school and I'm like, there's no way I can receive something like this and just like not do anything. Just like move on with life, go to college, like have fun, get involved. I'm like there has to be a way for me to like start something. So I'm like, I want to start my own scholarship program. Yeah, it's, it's so awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, you. we think about everything we've talked about, but also everything you've done, right? And it's, I mean, it's a resume of just awesome stuff. Not even like in that like corporate setting, like a resume, right. but just a list of things where you look back on, you're like damn i did this and you feel a little sense of pride right right but just like everything else we are the way we are like due, due to the people around us but also our environment right so what do you think were some of the biggest influences that you had on who you are that led to i guess the motor to be able to accomplish all the things you have yeah it's a great question um and i think it's it's definitely difficult to like pinpoint like what's your biggest motivator like when someone asks you like, what are you motivated by but um, I think for me, like, I've always – for okay, there's a few different ways I could approach this. So my parents are, like, very supportive. They always – like, I definitely owe so much to them. They always supported me and my siblings and anything we wanted to do. Like, I remember in within the same year, my brother wanted to be a professional soccer player and a professional <laughs> Fortnite player. And my parents were, like, fine with it. Like, he made a slideshow to – convince him on why he was gonna do esports and not college um which he, he's not doing that but it's just like <laughs> an example of my parents are very supportive so i feel like i tried so many things like i'm making flyers for a lemonade stand i'm doing this and they're like they're not shutting me down they're like yeah go out and do it have fun get your cousins do this try to make money 
get the experience. Um, but I think I should give credit to myself too. Like a lot of it just comes within. I've always just been like very ambitious, wanting to start stuff, wanting to build things. Um, and I, it's like hard to like understand like from like a young age, like how someone would have that. But um, it's just always something that's like lived with me. Um, and lastly, this is like more personal, but like I, I feel like in high school, like sometimes I struggled like fitting in or like wanting to be something that I wasn't like chasing the wrong group of friends was a big thing. And, um, entrepreneurship and like sneaker reselling was kind of like an outlet for me, like a way to, a way to do something with my time. And then it kind of just turned into something that I loved and something that I, that really like was me. Like, this is who I am. Like I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start things. I want to meet people that are working on different things that have all these awesome ideas. And like, so it, it not only gave me like that experience to like have that professional experience on a resume, which is great, but it also taught me like so much about myself. And, um, so I think it was like a combination of me pushing myself to always do more, but also like kind of just looking to as like, I need something to do. Where do I go? Like I'm, I'm lost right now. Um, what's something I can do. I want, I want to say like, I feel like that's been a, rec- a little bit of a recurring thing. Like a lot of people who I've met or like we've had on the podcast who have been like into entrepreneurship. It was like their outlet or like maybe yeah. like we've had like music, music artists on in the past. It was like their mm-hmm. outlet. Right. Cause like they n- didn't necessarily have like their place to go and they just felt like that was exactly their like thing to do. And it seems like you've like used that as well. And I also think like some of the stuff you've done, like it's been like consistently very like rewarding to like your personal life as well. Right. Like, obviously you started with lemonade stand all the basic get get your mind into entrepreneurship right. stuff <laughs> but then also like then you move into sneaker reselling and then that's like just teaching you like the ropes of like true entrepreneurship right. like buying stuff selling it at a higher right at a higher rate or higher price or whatever but then like then you moved into ripple that's like obviously very like rewarding because you're helping families right. help with like a help with like a grievance that's from losing a loved one and then obviously the scholarship is like huge right because right. i mean you along with like the people you have on your advisory board are able to kind of help a student every year from oprf right. just like succeed um in the business world and i that's that's just really awesome yeah i appreciate it and yeah i think the most rewarding like ventures and like projects are things that like you get something out of but like you're providing value and it's just like all around and like i feel like i've learned to like kind of find those things and i think those are the things that like you can be passionate about like when you have that like personal connection and that like story to tell yeah one thing i this will be the last last thing that we kind of wrap up on one thing i always think about is what if aiden like mowed one lawn and then stopped you know yeah what if or you what sold if, one shoe? yeah yeah that's what i was <laughs> yeah. about to say like yeah. what if you were like you resold you're like oh i only make 20 bucks like yeah what, what the hell and you're like oh okay like what if austin went to go pitch like brothers nuts in a store and yeah. just flopped it's like oh i can't do this again and honestly i feel like there's a lot of stories that are like that but you just don't hear them right, right. because like yeah like what if grayson after one year was like oh like like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go play esports or whatever it may be. Right. And then uh, there's also a lot of people that are on that cycle of like three months and stop their project, three months, right. stop, three months, stop. And you almost like build a bridge out like three steps, go back, you know, and, right. and that's like a Hormozy uh, metaphor. Right. But <laughs> found a way to snuck them in this yeah. episode. <laughs> but anyways, it's, that's always like very present in my mind, right? 
what would you say to someone that is maybe in that position? Like they, they like just sold like their first shoe, but it, they're like, okay, I don't know if I'm like really going to be able to do this anymore, but they can't see the future of what it may be. Right. right. What would be your words to them? Like to like keep going or also to be able to see deep enough into the future. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few ways to approach that. And I've dealt with it for 100%. I'm act, like, honestly dealing with it right now with ripple it's like very it's been really hard for us to run it while we're in college it's a really tough market to break into it's a lot different than selling shoes and um i think sometimes you need to just take your mind off of something like put it to the side think about other things and maybe come back to it it doesn't i think a lot of entrepreneurs would approach it at in the way of like just scrap it come up with something else forget about it if it was meant to happen, it was meant to happen. Um, and I think I talked with you a little bit about we talking this at the gym burnout, session. right? Yeah. You were like, it's yeah. not burnout. Yeah. Like but... it's, it's not, it's not burnout. It's a combination of timing. It's a combination of, is this something that you're really passionate about? Like I, I don't, I think people use burnout as an excuse for like, uh, I, I'm not really interested in working on like a business right now. Like, and I'm guilty of that 100%. Um, but I think like my overall advice for someone that's dealing with that is like, just put it to the side for a sec, kind of take a step back and think about like everything else that's going on around, like what else is affecting that, why it's not going anywhere besides yourself. Um, and just kind of come back to it like at another time, like I, that's kind of what has happened to me in the past. And I think a lot of people like can resonate with that. Um, and yeah, definitely something to think about with like the burnout thing. I'm trying to look more at that too. Just like what what does burnout mean? Is it is it real? Like we can we can obviously overwork our bodies like physically where we cannot do more and mentally. Um but I think a lot of people just throw it around um where it's maybe not necessarily true. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is probably a term that is overused. Yeah. Um there's a Real quick, when we were, uh, when when COVID hit, right? There was like, this is a small story from Harlozzi. I'm sorry, bro. We no, got, we got fine, so far, we wasn't brought up. <laughs> Dude, uh, we, have like a, we have like a joke that, it's not really a joke. No, I it actually is think true. every single episode. Like, can you not bring it up in an episode? Or? Honestly, well, we, well, it, it, it usually, it brings value to the episode, but like he has like, it's come up in a way that's brought value to the episode in every single episode. Well, yeah. And he does bring it up. I just every, cite yeah. him because I don't want to ever say something and then someone be like, oh, bro, like that's literally his exact words. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, like, you're like right. So I'm just like, yeah, I, yeah. I just want to be able to say it. Valid. But when COVID hit right at the beginning, there a lot, lot of restaurants closed. Yeah. Right. And at the beginning, the restaurants that closed, they kind of just used it as and I'm not a restaurant owner, so I guess I can't really speak with too much. Like, yeah. this is a generalization. Grain of salt. But a lot of them that closed right away, they hadn't really encountered the full financial drawbacks of the pandemic. It more, at least it seemed, was just a reason to quit, right? A lot of the ones that really got ravaged by COVID and actually did fail because of COVID failed about, like, eight months after. Right. But at, at the beginning, it just seemed like, oh, like I have a reason to be out. Like, I'm just going to be out. Right. Right. And that kind of reminds me of where I've been a lot with the past with some of my projects and also like what we were talking about, like from like a, I guess, more abstract perspective. There's a lot of times you just need a reason to stop and then you just stop. Yeah. 
Because you, now you have a reason and it's excusable. Fully. You know? And it's not you just giving up to give up. Because yeah. that's not really accepted in, like, our society. Yeah. You don't, you're not pointing the finger inward. It's always outward. Right. But, yeah. I mean, I feel like at this that's point, great, yeah. great way to, great time to wrap it all up. Great thing to think so, about. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, brother. If you got a hand free. It was a great <laughs> time. Thank you. Great time. I did it with Jose, and I'm like, it's a vibe. Um, <laughs> Is that our new thing? Dap him up at the uh, end? Maybe. Maybe. Well, you get to see. I mean, feel like it kind of fits the theme. Okay, I got to stop yapping. I feel like it kind of fits the theme, though, because you got a founder, but also, like, it's casual. Like, we're all people at the end of the day. Yeah. So you get to see what's behind the business. You had a so, yappuccino no, before no, this. No handshake. Yeah, yeah. A little yappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On this note, we will wrap up. Thank you again. And for those of you guys listening, I hope you have a great rest of your day, rest of your morning, night, whatever it may be. So thank you all.